0: What's up, and welcome back to Surf Splendor. David Scales here, your host of the show. I've got a slightly amended format for today's show. The main part of the show is surf news, with of course my co host Scott Bass. But the first 30 minutes of this episode are actually a conversation that I'm having with Roger Hines, surfboard shaper Roger Hines. Um, If you listen to this show with any regularity at all, you know who Roger is. I have an actual profile piece with Roger, like a full one hour plus interview with Roger detailing his history as a board builder, but more recently I had him shape a couple of surfboards for me and we documented that process on this show, both my ordering of them, photos that he took along the way, uh, during shaping and glassing the boards and then i had a conversation with him on this show about one of the long, the longboard of the two boards and then he also made me a shortboard. So this conversation is meant to discuss some of the aspects of that shortboard, the design features, how that board's been going for me, and then Roger also opens up just more about all sorts of other stuff in this conversation. So enjoy the first 30 minutes with Roger Hines and then i'll pitch to surf news. With Scott Bass and I, a lot has happened in the world of surf news. One of the things is that Surfing Magazine announced yesterday that they will no longer be printing their magazine after 50 years of production. They're going to go online, all digital. So, big news out of the surf industry. And Scott and I do discuss that in the episode. And the reason why I'm bringing it up now is I had a flippant response to Scott when he asked me about it in the show. I acted like I didn't care. And then I uh, opened my computer after we were done recording, and I read this uh, Facebook post that Pete Terrace posted. And Scott and I mentioned Pete in our discussion. Pete is the photo editor of Surfing Magazine. He has been, and he's been, he's worked with him for 20 years. So I read Peter's Facebook post, and uh, it was so moving. It was basically just a. Um, Memoir of Pete's time at surfing, and I felt like an idiot for being so flippant. I too often share really half witted, just emotive responses, and then later regret it. And this was one of those times. Um, It's a fantastic tribute by Pete, and it reminded me of all the people that he mentions in it, the people that he worked with. I know their names I don't know them personally by and large but it's like reminded me of them and the images that largely defined the past two and a half decades of my life or so that I've been involved in surfing and it just made me feel tremendous reverence for the magazine and uh, I forgot a lot of that reverence in recent years that I haven't really been reading it but Pete's Facebook post reminded me of it, and uh, geez, I feel terrible for for being disrespectful of it um, when I had my conversation with Scott, which you're going to hear later in this episode. I'm not going to edit it out or anything like that. And I didn't say anything too disparaging, but it was kind of just like, oh, you know, um, the times change, and so roll with the punches. But again, I feel differently about it now. I feel a lot more reverent of it. So this is my my attempt. To regain some sort of dignity and uh, say thanks to Surfing Magazine, you will be sorely missed. All right, enough of that. If you want to see Roger Surfboards, um, highlights of Surfing Magazine, all of the other things that we discuss in this episode, come to surfsplendorpodcast.com. We'll have it all there. I'll also be posting Instagrams with images of those things. And you can follow us at Surf Splendor. Engage, share it with friends, all that sort of stuff. Also, feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps our show to grow. We're getting really close to 100 ratings. I think it was at 97 last time I checked, a week or two ago. So we'd love to get it up to three-digit. Ratings would be great. Um, and then, of course, thanks to everybody who's donated to the show. We're suggesting a $5 monthly subscription. So, if you can do that, that helps this show to grow. Um, I'm buying new microphones next week, actually, because of those donations. So, going to good use. Sound quality will improve. All right. Um, Enjoy the show. Here's my conversation with Roger Hines. Um. sound of that, Roger. Sound of red wine hitting the uh, hitting the glass. It Cheers. Is. As all good podcasts should start and with yeah. a little swirl and a sniff. Uh, so Roger and I have done this before. little recap catching up. Roger's shaped a couple of boards for me. We uh, discussed one of them previously. We're going to Discuss the second one now over a glass of wine since it is uh, officially 424. I think that's late enough, isn't it? Late enough. All right. We've got um, – I did a Bordeaux tasting with friends this weekend. This is the what's left over. Dauphin. Uh, Grand Puy de coss is the producer. This is their second label. 2012 vintage from Poyac, which is the left bank of Bordeaux. It's a blend of 50% Cabernet Sauvignon, 50% Merlot. Cheers. Cheers, man. First sip down the gullet. All right, Roger. Long time no see, dude. Welcome. Oh, that's good. Thank good, you. yeah. It's actually better now than it was the other night when I opened it. That'll teach you. Open um, them up and bring them over here. So long time no see, man. Or not, not no see, but yeah. long time no podcast, no surf. Yeah. Been busy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: we're in the middle of uh, redesigning the website and uh, changing the color palettes for 2017. Kind of going back to the uh, beginning, the early colors we did in the 70s. And I got a couple guys that are working on this. Andrew Schoenberg and uh, Anthony Van Anthony runs the website. Andrew stepped into uh, uh Kind of help out with the rebranding, the whole new look. He's done a phenomenal
0: job. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I would assume, like, because your aesthetic has always been really good. Like on the website, the color schemes that were on the previous boards. So I assumed that everything on the website was a reflection of the boards being produced. And this looks the same, actually.
2: It is. Um Like I was saying, we're going back to the original colors that were used in the 70s and... um and actually bringing back models from that time. And it's funny as hell because if you go in the shape room, I got templates that are held together by bubble gum and band-aids that are from 1970-71. It's just crazy to pull those things out
0: and um, overlay them with what's going on today. Well, explain that a little bit. Is it um, old template with new contours on the bottoms? Or how does how do you blend the old and the new?
2: Well... I think during our first interview, I, I told you where I got started at was stripping down the long boards and making the transition board. And that's, this is basically what we're doing right now is, is revisiting that. Um, we're taking the original plan shape from 1968. Um, that was Australian-inspired V-tail. At that time, a lot of the changes in the short board came pretty quick. From my assessment, from uh, Australia, a lot of just chopping off a foot a a week Mm -hmm. and boards were just dropping and going so short. Um, So I'm doing one of those with an original template, but it has a really good bottom and rail and just the plan shape and the rocker. The plan shape's original, but the rocker and everything has changed. Got it. Back then, it seemed like Even in the early 70s, everybody was more concentrated on more outline and uh, rail than they were foil and rocker, because you could look at a lot of the boards from the early 70s. They had S-decks, which telescoped through to the bottom, which was an S-bottom, and it gave it a real flat exit out the tail. And the thought behind that was, well, the flatter the exit... The board will go faster. Well, it did. It went like crazy, but it just tracked, and right. there was a big learning curve because things were coming down pretty quick. Plus, it wasn't blanks to accommodate the shorter uh, uh, shortboard revolution. They really had to step that up. But so, one of the ones I'm bringing back in is is I'm kind of crediting the Australians. I'm, it's the Aussie V, and it's uh, it's a real user-friendly board a dead replica template of that time. And uh, then another one is Assassin, which would have been from 1970, 71. The original template was 6'10", 22 inches wide. Um, And so that's... I have to jump ahead for a second. The Assassin was actually the birth of the Nomad in 1992. Because in 91, 92, there wasn't a lot of big guy shortboards. There was a lot of flip nose uh, shortboards, uh, fun boards and long boards. There really wasn't a lot of uh, bigger guys, wider nose uh, wider tail shortboards with progressive rockers available. And so I, I basically overlaid that template, which was 610, stretched it out to seven six and pulled the tail in. And if you were to overlap those two boards today, which you'll be able to in about two weeks on the website, You'll clearly see this, they're both the same board, the yeah. same plan shape from '71 to '92. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, with that, I took and put a good rocker and a good bottom curve to it, and that kind of changed it. And now uh, everybody's going shorter and more volume. Um, so I just dragged those templates back out and kind of pieced them back together, and I think we're going to have some good luck with that. It's going to be a real
0: user-friendly board with a real progressive rocker. And uh, Why'd you decide to go back to the drawing board in terms of revitalizing some old stuff?
2: No reason other than it just seems that's that's the direction that a lot of younger guys are going right now, which is pretty cool because um, it reminds me of what I was doing uh, back then. They're, they're experimenting with a lot of different things that, you know... Um, I haven't really looked closely to see what the bottom curves look like or anything, but the plan shapes are really uh, really pretty neat. Yeah. And so I just figured I'd bring out my original templates and and get going with that. Plus I did some last year in Japan, uh, earlier on and that, that seemed to go pretty well over there.
0: Yeah, it's you're right though, like if obviously on Instagram you see a lot of quote unquote hipsters or just newer shapers coming along who are part of the ride anything movement, I guess is what you could say, where yeah. they're not riding high performance short boards and maybe they're riding long boards, but they're also riding everything in between. Yeah. And you're a guy who actually made a lot of those boards back in the day yeah. and everything through the, through the decades. So it's kind of cool that um, you can apply 30 years of history and the original shapes yeah. with kind of the like you said, the modified high performance aspects of today's boards too.
2: And you and Anthony had a lot in that too. Um because they said you got a story here to tell about yeah. what what how did this come about. Yeah. And so uh, when I started dragging dragging around in there and finding these old templates and then um thought, you know, that that would be pretty cool. Totally. But uh cool. And then I'm doing a fish. I don't know anybody who isn't doing one, but mine, again, is from an original template in 72. And uh, back then, I was in Hawaii full-time, and and my uh, best friend, Mike Armstrong, was riding those damn things out at the pipeline, it was just crazy to watch him ride a a keelfin twin at the pipeline on a 10-foot day. Mm
0: -hmm. What year do you think the fish was introduced? 72 seems early to me. I mean, that... Very well might be it. I I really don't know.
2: I I think uh, they were making them in San Diego even before then. Were they? I know that Nueva was uh, riding some with Dino, uh, 72,
0: 73. So that was its infancy,
2: though? I I don't, you know, I I think that was, everybody was kind of doing them back then. Okay. Um, I think they were a bigger deal here in California than in Hawaii. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, the first I know is Steve Liss kneeboarding yeah. them, but I don't know what year that was, you Yeah, know? Oh, I, I, know, I know
2: it was before I was doing them because I, I forget where I got the template from. Maybe from Jim Turner, somebody like that.
0: So uh, what is what are the design characteristics of this new one that you're bringing back?
2: Kind of the same thing. I'm using the original plant shape because that's the story. There's the history right there. These are the ones that we were riding, and these are the ones that we were making. And... But now they have a better rocker, a better uh, rail. Everything about them is better. But the plan shape, it's kind of a, a lesson in history that you can take uh, boards from 40-some 40, 40 years ago, the outlines, and and uh, bring them current, and they're going to be really good boards. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not like anybody's really in, reinventing the wheel out there. They're drawing from the past and making it move forward.
0: Um. So you asked for submissions for names for the fish and I would like to just I feel like mine got undervalued. I never even got a chuckle, dude. Oh, that's, I wanted us
2: laughing inside.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to call it the DeVito because it's short and fat. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Twin fins, his one of his best movies, his finest thespian performance was in the film Twins. Come on, dude. I didn't you know, expect you, you to got, use it, but I expe- point there. I didn't expect you to use it. I expected at least a thumbs up emoji uh, I, or like a chuckle or something.
2: It must have got past me. I'm, I'm, I apologize. That's all right, dude. Forgive the de, the DeVito. That. But I'll tell you what, we'll table that at the next uh, corporate. <laughs> you, know, you know how corporate I
0: am. Um, um, what did you decide on a name?
2: No, we haven't got that one yet. But when I was shaping one the other day, I was thinking Kingfish, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I don't know.
0: All
2: right. I so the DeVito of, is still on it's the table. on the table. Okay. I've kind of released it to uh, the young minds to uh, come up with this stuff, the color palettes and everything, but all we're doing is just revisiting what was used.
0: Maybe um, I need to send those guys a VHS copy of the film Twins to sway their opinion. I don't think they'd be a waste of time. Okay, cool. It's a fine comedic <laughs> performance, okay? Um, well, that's actually a good segue into the board that I've been writing for the last two months or so, which is the Dreamfish. Yeah. Is that still a part of your portfolio? It is. Okay, cool. Is so you're not getting rid of your old boards that people are used to? No. You're just adding in these? No, I
2: think we thinned out a few models because of uh, I can only build so many boards, and the ones that weren't getting much attention in America, I probably got rid of. Uh, that didn't mean we weren't getting attention in the uh, overseas market. It's When you're... Um, when you can only build so many boards, you can 't put twenty models out there totally you know yeah
0: it's not a plus all the customs you 're doing yeah so so the dream fish i wanted i told listeners um that we would i showed pictures of the boards being shaped on Instagram, and then i 'd write it and we'd talk about that and you would dis you know discuss the design characteristics of the board and i'd give you feedback from writing it um the name is almost a little misnomer. Like it has fish characteristics for sure. In terms of paddling and stability, but um it really almost surfs more like a shortboard in that it's really high performance and it goes vertical. Um it's really easy to turn. It it turns on a dime, basically. So it's kind of the best of both worlds, in my experience of it.
2: I'd like to take credit for all of that, but the uh, the name came from uh, Scott Scarborough at in flight because oh. he was riding the thing too. Okay. And Ted Robinson, uh, Rip Curl rep and all around bitching guy and great surfer. Totally. Uh, asked Scott if he could try it and he liked it and then uh, Ted came to me and asked me if I could take the ear out of it, taking the the width of twelve inches back off the nose out of it. Um, so that it would be able to knife into the face of the wave easier on a hollow takeoff. Okay. Because a, a lot of air up at the nose will tend to, when you go to turn off the bottom, it'll push you out instead of up. Hmm. So we took the air out of it. So from the midsection forward, it's actually the thing too, with an inch narrower nose. That's all it is. What's different about that board, and again, I don't look at a lot of other people's boards, not for any other reason than I just probably don't ever have the chance. Um, But I used a a shortboard rocker with this board, and I'm not sure that a lot of people are or are not using that type of rocker on a fish-style board. Usually fish-style boards, where you would make them with a lower-entry rocker. Yeah. So you're going to get the characteristics of a shortboard out of this board. You're going to be able to turn it up the face. You're going to be able to... You break it loose. Uh, surfing with you earlier on, I realized that you surfed heavy on your front foot, and that really de- determines the bottom curve in my eyes. Okay. Um, a front foot surfer like myself, you I always put more of a flat under your front foot, um, and then I'll run it to V, into a double concave and then a flat exit in back of the fin so you have something to push off of. Um, More of a single concave on on a uh, front foot surfer seems to kind of cavitate underneath your feet or underneath my feet anyway Mm -hmm. if the waves get bumpy and, and you really have to keep pushing the board, pushing the board, pushing the board, pushing the board to where a front foot surfer, if you watch them, they're more... Flowing, more style, more smooth than a back foot surfer that's constantly, you know, ninja. Right. So there's a lot that goes into that for the bottom curve for me, uh, either whether you're a back foot or a front foot surfer. Yeah. Uh, again, the um, one of the reasons I still glass my own boards at almost 62 years old is I want my edges exactly how I shape them. And that's not that people can't do that. It's just that for whatever reason, whenever I had my boards glassed by outside glassers or even people who sanded for me through the years for the most part, it was uh, attention to detail on that edge really makes the difference for me.
0: Well, let's let me break that down for listener. You're talking about basically the hard edge towards the tail of the board. Like everybody's used to feeling the rails of the board, let's say midway through the board and they're yeah. bulby yeah. you know whether yeah. it's where, whether the apex is at the center, the bottom or the top, mm-hmm. there's there's roundness to them. As you drag your fingers towards the tail of the board, mm-hmm. it becomes sharper and sharper. Yeah. And so you're saying you want like a razor sharp edge on the glass job. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah, and okay. the, and the sander dictates that because no matter what, how uh, how you shape it, the sander can com- completely change everything. Yeah. Um, so it's really important to me. I call it a hand, but I have a pretty big hand, and I in front of the fin. And Rusty Preisendorfer tells me he calls it a shaka. If you put a, a shaka from the front of the fin forward that's where you want your hard edge he thinks uh, along okay. the same lines and and that edge to him is is very important also got it and so it
0: stays hard to the end of the shaka yeah. and then you blend it into the about bowl. four
2: or five inches in front of the fin
0: to okay. the tail R- regardless really, of what style of board Long no this board, is, this is board. no
2: well yeah, no, anything that you're doing high performance surfing on got it i want that edge got it um it's what releases the board
0: yeah which is, I mean, it's shocking that you say that a sander might lose that detail because all of the hard work and design that goes into the shape itself can be lost in the sanding room.
2: Well, in all fairness, uh, a sander is going to go in there in 2017 and in a production glass shop. He's going to probably get paid anywhere from 18 to $24 a board to sand a board, uh, that every board is quite different from every board builder. Um, being said in 1974, I was getting $10 to sand a board on the North shore and my house down by the pipeline was $300 a month. (laughs) So nobody's really gotten a raise here in the last 40 some years. So in all fairness,
0: right. You know, and people should know they're often sanding five different labels exactly. of boards. So it's not like they're working with one guy all the time. Exactly. They've got five guys who have eight different surfboard models. Yeah. So, yeah.
2: Exactly. And and so those are the little things that whether they're important to other builders or not is, uh, it is what it is. But those are the things I try to concentrate on when I build is I want it a certain way. Yeah. And that's how it comes
0: out. Yeah. It's I mean, we're obviously drinking a glass of wine here, and you and I both like wine. And there's the winemakers that I like to buy wine from, they're generally smaller, artisanal, handcrafted, but they're oftentimes in the vineyard farming the land themselves for half the year, basically, or more than half the year. And then they're in the winery making the wine themselves. That's one way to do it if your land is small enough and you have. If your land's small enough, you produce a limited number of barrels, and then you can make each of those barrels. The wines that you're buying at the grocery store are farmed by who knows how many different laborers yeah. over the course of how many different acres or cities and counties. And then in the winery, because you're making 100,000 cases of it, it's made by a lot of different people. A lot of different hands touch it. you know. So maybe you have 30 different hands touching it from vineyard to bottling where uh, and that same thing happens in surfing which i think people overlook is like somebody's shaping it somebody's glassing it somebody's sanding it someone's setting the fins on it some you know Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different guys involved in a in a board production depending on where you get it from
2: you know i think that's what separates the herd in 2017 is is the attention to detail learning the uh uh, the combinations of fiberglass uh, to put on boards make them flex different a layer of s glass a layer of d glass a layer of warp glass you know all these combinations uh, once you learn the glassing schedules that work best for your product it kind of changes everything my friend down in san clemente maurice agnello who uh does edit Surports, he's a genius at this the guy really? just he's just a genius at this he's uh not only a really good surfer and a great guy, he can really put these things together and eyeglass and his boards in his factory and, and he comes through and hand, hand checks every one of them. You know, and it's it's not hard for me to, to kind of chuckle because I'm not beyond making a mistake. Yeah. But uh, I really respect the fact that how he approaches it, that, hey, feel this edge. Is this edge exactly, what, what's it feel like to you? It's important to him, so it should be important to others. Totally. And uh, in the early days in Hawaii, everybody surfed, uh, who was good at surfing that made surfboards, knew how to build a board from start to finish. Right. All of them, Lopez, Fitzgerald, any of them, could build a board from start to finish. Um, Army, any of them. But um, I think now it's getting a bit more spread out to where there's a lot of information on the internet, which I think is good because it'll show people the basics of what goes into building a surfboard. But I think that a surfboard shaper nowadays should not only be a surfboard shaper, he should also be able to know whether he's getting a good glass job or not. Right. If you are if you don't have as much knowledge as the people who are handling your boards you might be missing something mm-hmm. i'm not sure that.
0: well and if you don't have that knowledge you don't even know what a good glass job versus a bad glass job looks like and when you get your board you might love it and mm-hmm. you might surf it the first day or two and love it as well but it might fall apart okay. shortly thereafter
2: right or so. the quality of foam you're using or the or the quality of uh fiberglass material or resin and yeah. and such are you thinning your acetone, uh, resin with acetone because it's 40 degrees where you're working or are you using styrene or there's a lot of things there that come into the equation that um i think this slowdown that i see in the surfboard business right now is probably pretty damn good because well number one it doesn't affect me because i can only build so many boards anyway but i think it gives everybody a chance to look at the product they're building because Mm -hmm. everybody's not building at a fever pitch like they were two years ago yeah and maybe people are looking at it through different eyes. Maybe they don't have to uh, use certain materials. maybe they can you know use stuff that's made here in America and, and
0: uh, you know kind of support our our economy this is where we live this is what we do yeah. it would it would be nice if builders actually reset their focus a little bit yeah. based on that. I do think regardless of how builders adjust that Consumers are seeking out more of what you're talking about. Certainly like U.S. made stuff, but also artisanal handcrafted things that are quality made. Um, I was having a conversation with somebody recently like thinking, you know, I used to buy like try to get a good deal on a jacket, let's say, Mm -hmm. and then I'd end up buying four jackets None of them quite like fit what I wanted and they all were kind of mediocre quality. Yeah. I'm of the mindset now, I just want to buy one good jacket to wear all the time and I'll pay four times what I paid for any of those in the past, yeah. but I just want one, you know? Yeah. So um, I think, or whether it's artisanal wine, like I was describing or cheeses or whatever it is, a cutting board that's crafted by a wood worker, you know, yeah, yeah. like that's better to me than the... Fifteen dollar uh, plastic one from Target or whatever.
2: Yeah, I
0: um, I think we've touched on it before
2: that that uh, board, there's so many boards being made by some of the bigger builders that you know the computer's a, a, a definite must for somebody like Rusty or or CI or oh, Lost yeah. because they're international markets. So what are you going to do? send your shapers over there? No. I go to Japan or Europe or South America. I'm doing hundred boards in each place, you know, these guys are doing thousands. And so yeah. they have to have, you know, the same board over and over and over. So it's a definitely a must for them. And, you know, it doesn't, it's not a bad thing. I you it. know. The computer makes a yeah. accurate board over and over and over. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, in, in that example that I was describing where you have um, seven or eight different people touching the board before it's finished and working on it. And I was talking about the wine scenario They're making great wines that way, you know, with 100 case production and they're in the grocery stores. They're technically sound, really well-made wine. Mm -hmm. But what I have found is that I've come to love the imperfections in some wines, you know. And I want to be able to taste vintage variation. It was too rainy that year, so like, oh, that tastes different. And it was a great year this year, and so that tastes a certain way. And that's kind of what I found with surfing, too, is like I don't necessarily – need it to feel great, but I want to understand why it's doing what it's doing and sure. what went into it and what was the intention behind it. You know, I think yeah. the intention has a lot to do with it. So I think Good there's point. a place for both things. Yeah, absolutely. Um You checked the
2: waves today. How'd it look? I had to go to a funeral today, but uh it looked pretty decent. Uh It still had some size. Water looked kind of brown, but
0: um, I saw a couple photos from this morning that looked pretty good right out front. Did you check the shore break at all, or were you just yeah, looking at Yeah, I was watching the, the shore break
2: for a while, and and uh, that boy, that looks like uh whew, that's an exciting ride right onto the beach.
0: Were guys surfing it?
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or and flying through the air, was it, falling out of the sky. Was it yeah. Surfa- surfable? Yeah, there was a couple of really good guys out there, but. Uh, yeah, it, uh, I I would imagine somewhere was good. Check that. That was this morning. Yeah, I was on the pier watching it. Uh, I didn't see that view, but I'm sure that happened.
0: Yeah, it only gets a couple of days like that a year, if even. You know, there's been years where we don't get any of that. Um, I saw footage from Friday when it was like I think it was Friday, maybe it was Saturday. Oh no, Sunday. 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 Yeah, looked insane out there. Like rainy and muddy, but I, there were like oh, well overhead kegs.
2: Yeah, I didn't see it on Sunday until dark. I went for a walk and went on the berm and it was
0: uh, plenty of water washing over. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Made me... I hated seeing that Instagram. I was like, oh my God, I blew it, dude. I missed it. <laughs> but whatever. Yeah, I'm not going to stick
2: my, my butt in that shore break anyway. I got no. no business out there. True. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, hey, dude, the new uh, color scheme and aesthetic looks amazing. It's been good to see on Instagram, and I went to your website, obviously, and, like, the font, all of it looks really, really impressive.
2: Yeah, we haven't, thank you, we haven't done much to the website yet. Uh, we're shooting a bunch of boards uh, this week and going to get all that layout done, and And basically what the website's going to be is just a lot more content, a lot oh, more okay. history of what, what was happening at that time
0: are you yeah. going to be writing it yourself, or what? No, you- no, no, no,
2: Andrew. Uh, they're going to be pulling it out of out of the the brain of Roger Hines that is very old. So they're going to
0: do an interviews and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, okay. and then do and uh, put it on the website for content as far as what we were doing at that time, as far as boards or where we were surfing and stuff like that.
0: Do you have photos of all that stuff? I have photos of me surfing in the North Shore. You know. That'll be rad to see. Yeah, cool. All right, man, rogerhandsurfboards.com. Good seeing you again, buddy. Good seeing you. Catch up with you, Roger. Roger Hines Surfboards com, of course, is his website. As you heard me say in our conversation, and then definitely follow him on Instagram at Roger Hines Surfboards. The recent boards that he's been building with this new color palette, um, throwback kind of templates, are incredible. I mean, seriously, among the most impressive boards that I've seen in a long time. And I see a lot of surfboards, obviously. Um, Especially going to the boardroom show every year. You kind of see the cream of the crop. This is next level stuff. And um, after Roger and my conversation, he showed me a few of them in his garage. And they're unreal in person. Art pieces. And I took photos of those things. So I'll post... I took photos of those boards. So I will post those photos on Instagram at Surf Splendor. Check it out. All right? Here's Surf News for January 24th, 2017. Enjoy. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 free that's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're hear us in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business.
1: Sports is not as um, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't
0: want to do another stomp you out speech.
1: It opened up so many more
0: doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
1: Oh, yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Everybody, welcome down the line. Surf Talk Radio. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. What's up, bro? Sounds like some echo in this room.
0: A little bit of echo in the bubbling gurgles of the fish tank in the background as well.
1: Yeah, so we're not in the same—we're in an office at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center, and I'm definitely noticing the echo.
0: Nice change of pace, though. I mean, I love love this Duke stationary hanging on the wall. That's a pretty iconic piece. Yeah, you're right. Pretty Pretty bunker Spreckle's iconic art brewer image over there. Yeah. So, lots of stuff in There's here.
1: always lots to look at here at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. My name's Scott Bass, along with David Lee Scales. This is Down the Line Surf Talk Podcast, and um, we are rambling on here. David, do you have some follow-up from our show two weeks ago?
0: Yeah, I do, actually. Um, I mentioned... In the past show, well, first of all, thanks to those who have donated to the show, we set up a donation platform uh, via PayPal. It's on surfsplendorpodcast.com and boardroomshow.com. Is that correct? Boardroom yeah, show. boardroomshow.com. And um, so we suggested that listeners contribute a $5 a month monthly donation, and a number of you have been. And so thank you for that, and we encourage everybody else. Obviously, 5 bucks is kind of a minimal expense per individual, and it's... Not a lot for us to receive, except that when a number of people do it, it really does add up. So we appreciate that, and those are starting to add up. Um, Also, I mentioned that I'm going to Cuba next month and reached out for any feedback from listeners or um, suggestions for places to visit, ways to navigate the country, all that. And I got a couple of really detailed emails from people with some really insightful feedback. So thank you for those, but also anybody else who's been? Shout out. Let me know what you've enjoyed about Cuba or how to get around. Um, I also got a comment on surfsplendorpodcast.com from Fat (laughs) Aki.
1: Yeah, so the real guy?
0: I was going to say, isn't that kind of redundant? Can't you just be called Aki?
1: I don't know. I haven't seen him lately. Is is he in good shape? He looks
0: felt lately, dude. I'm like, he's actually not fat at all. Yeah. So
1: anyways. That doesn't surprise me. Surfing a lot.
0: Yeah, a uh, comment from Fat Aki referencing your, our discussion about coaches, right? And you were like, "Look, dude, Julian Wilson, one of the top three guys on tour, you know, who would be his ideal coach to get him to that next level of world title status? Well, Fat Aki comments on surfsplendorpodcast.com. quote, "Mick Fanning should retire and become Julian's coach for 2017." Under the brilliant tutelage, he stokes uh, the blue-collar bastard desire that is lurking just beneath Julian's perfectly coiffed mop. Despite Julian's metrosexual teen vogue appeal, there is a beer-swilling Chris Davidson slash Eugene Fanning Australian beast that wants to win over all else. For God's sakes, he comes from a family of tile-setters who worked 60 hours a week to keep him in thrusters and boardies. He owes it to them. And who better to enforce the iron, inflexible, repetitive discipline than his real older brother slash soulmate Mick Fano. For goodness sakes, did you see the tears in Julian's eyes when he described the J-Bay shark bump? He absolutely loves and worships that man. And Mick's dirty secret that won him all those world titles, the fact that behind every yoga ball single focused heat flirts Eugene. Dr. Jekyll, waiting for the victory to be unleashed. I can't wait to see pictures of Julian wearing one shoe and soiled briefs, standing on a table, drinking Fosters mixed with vomit for the from the 2017 WSL Championship Trophy in some back alley Gold Coast beer pit, end quote. From Fat Aki.
1: Fat Aki, coming through with a great... I, are you sure that wasn't Chaz Smith? Could have been. Fat Aki, coming through, that was great.
0: I mean, Fanning would be the perfect coach, but also, I think... He's absolutely right. There
1: is Fanning a lot Fanning of-
0: needs, needs to unleash that uh, Eugene aspect of Julian Wilson.
1: Yeah. I, you know what? That all makes perfect sense, except it doesn't make sense for Mick Fanning to do that. I think Mick Fanning is going to make a run at the world title or not, You know, like we discussed. Like, yeah. Is, it, is there truth to the rumor in some of the photos and videos we've seen where Mick Fanning's busting a bunch of aerials?
0: So I watched that video after you told me about that.
1: Yeah. Not so good.
0: Not so good. <laughs> great by Mick Fanning standards. Right. So average by most people's standards. Right. You know, or most pro standards. Um, I love it, though. And again, we always talk on this show like, hey, Scott and I are the ones with the microphones, but this conversation extends beyond us, and we want to make sure that you, the listener, gets engaged. And there's an example of a perfect platform for it on the website.
1: Yeah. And, f- and great email from Fat Aki, whoever you may be. Keep them coming, because... There's no way, David Nike. I, can't speak for David. There's no way that I could write something so creative. So good work and uh, appreciate it.
0: Fat hockey way better than skinny hockey in my estimation. <laughs> um, yeah. we got another one from Bill Rosenblatt, who's a longtime listener of yours. Scott has been listening to our show for the last three years. He says, you guys complain about cold water and flat spells? Give me a break. Today in New Jersey, it's 23 degrees with sustained winds about 20 miles an hour. Water temp is 47 or so. Flat spells here last weeks on end. I know one would ask, why would anyone even live here, much less surf here? It's a great question.
1: But Bill's right now basking in the sun in Puerto Rico, probably. So, in fact, he probably wrote that email from Puerto Rico. <laughs> so, whatever, Bill.
0: Well, we Bill's did. a
1: good, good guy and a good fan of the show. And
0: So, uh, we did survive those flat spells, and we've got quite a bit of swell running. Holy mackerel. The waves
1: have been pumping it's pumping right now it's it's rather raw and unruly and disheveled and uh solid and powerful there's been here in southern California if you, if you haven't been s- seeing it on the news, there's been a major system couple of systems that came through here and Sunday morning there were some all time waves where down where I live and surf I don't know about up up where your your neck of the woods
0: there was a secret nook or two yeah. that were all time but for the most part overpowered yeah. You know?
1: So some good waves.
0: Where'd you surf? I saw your wetsuit hanging off your truck. Did you surf oh, Today I have not
1: surfed. No, oh, okay. I'm waiting.
0: You left it out hanging on your truck so that it gets rained on right now? Is it now? raining right now? It <laughs> is. Huh? I, like was hoping,
1: I was hoping it was going to dry it out.
0: But, yeah, it's oh the well. exact opposite, unfortunately. What are you going to do? Um anyways do you have any follow-up from the previous episodes um if i do yeah let's just
1: get right into it and i'll check my email i haven't i've been busy
0: dude a lot's happened since i know our last recording actually the day that we recorded our last episode we drove out of here and the news hit that paul speaker stepped down from his ceo position with the wsl i know um that information is about a week and a half old now but i think you have some new insight into it scott
1: i do i've got some some insight um I do want to get to this quick email real quick. Oh, okay. Sure. Um, my friend Ryan, who I surfed with out at Cardiff and around Encinitas, said, Hey, lots of fun at Cardiff this morning. This was Sunday. Uh, I didn't get a chance to take you up on your offer of an unrequited drop-in. Does it carry over to the next O-Red oh Day at Cardiff? Long-time listener. Finally, a subscriber. $5 a month. Really dig the show. Keep the stoke going. Adios and aloha. Ryan Pingree, and Ryan's one of the North County Paddler guys and guy I surf with a lot. So thank you, Ryan. Thanks for listening. And yes, the offer of an unrequited drop-in, which is a great word, requited.
0: I thought it was unrequited.
1: Oh, maybe, see, I can't even pronounce it. That's perfect. Maybe they're two separate unrequited. words. Unrequited. I've heard of like it's an... It's R-E-Q-U-I-T-E-D, unrequited. Yeah, yeah. Like,
0: I've only heard it like in unrequited love, you know, where you're like...
1: The- either way i can't pronounce it nor spell it and, I'm, and i don't even really know what it means but good job ryan thanks for the uh email our, david and i appreciate your subscription too our,
0: our definitely our favorite topics of conversation on this show other than surfing tea grammar and language
1: because <laughs> i butcher it all the time
0: and and uh our hairdo our hairdos <laughs>
1: Well, to segue into the whole Paul Speaker thing as you mentioned last 2 weeks ago the day we signed off, I got the news driving home that Paul Speaker has stepped down from the WSL. Now Nick Carroll, who works as a surf journalist for the past 40 years or so, and a good friend and a great guy. He sent he wrote a piece for a uh, Swellnet. And um I took a little bit of uh what he wrote, but most of this is my own thoughts on this, and I, I, he and I kind of bantered back, of, back and forth on email about this, but um, Nick Carroll wrote this, please. Okay, so Paul Speaker stepping down from the WSL, that's it for Plan A. And um, Nick wrote, hey, was Paul Speaker pushed out of this position, or did he jump? Which is an interesting question. It's always a good question. Yeah. yeah. So here we are, David. We're five years into this WSL experiment, and Um, Competitive surfing seems to be in a pretty good place. Paul Speaker, Dave, leaves on a high note. Um, You and I would agree. Definitely. Great broadcasts, um, increased pay for athletes, an attempt at a leveling of the field for women's pay, Um, a more robust women's tour, I think you could agree. Uh, Definitely. The co-opt of Slater's Wave Pool, the purchase of the XXL Big Wave Awards, and the creation of the Big Wave World Tour. Everything is quite rosy, except for the finances. And I will quote Nick Carroll's article now. Nick says, The original business plan drawn up by Zossi Media, the Santa Monica-based sports marketing vehicle that took ownership of the ASP at the end of 2012, called for a tour that earned more than its keep. There is a million a pop for each CT naming rights. Lucrative tour partnerships with a range of non-endemic companies, would be sold across a range of categories. Cars, electronics, cosmetics, travel and airline, beverage, and several other categories were mentioned. This would all be in sync with a range of equally impressive new broadcast deals, which would work to secure the partnerships and open more and more doors for all concerned. It was epic blue sky thinking. And for all the shiny coherence of today's CTs on the outside, for all the hard work of Paul and his many loyal staff, it clearly hasn't quite worked. Deals had to be cut immediately around the naming rights fee. Major CTs in Fiji, Rio, and Maui remain without corporate names or fees attached. A fortune has been spent on trying to lure non-endemic backers through the door with limited success. Indeed, three of the most prominent names on the WSL site, Samsung, Jeep, and Corona aren't strictly newcomers to this space, all had prior relationships with professional surfing's events. The media platform is still essentially web broadcast, massively improved from the stumbly event-to-event ASP version for sure, but still largely preaching to the converted. So those are good words from, from uh, Paul. Yeah, And now, here we sit, David, January of 2017, and the revenues being brought in simply do not meet the forecasts. Plan A was to test pro-surfing's place in the grander sports marketplace, and it has done that. And the outcome of Plan A is that surfing is small-time, at least according to dollars and cents. The WSL seems to have a huge fiscal gap. I'm assuming all this, but this is based on... uh, interviews and research i've done with industry insiders a few of who uh, whom i sat down with this past week after the uh, paul speaker announcement okay and it seems to be that there is a hemorrhaging of dirk ziff's money the guy who backed zosi so it was time for speaker to leave after five years the revenues don't match up with the forecasts. somebody has to leave this just can't continue there has to be some change And the small amount of eyeballs that are watching the WSL webcast will never be enough for the WSL to court big-time umbrella sponsorships in the grand sports marketplace from corporations such as Coca-Cola, Toyota, IBM, the Royal Bank of Scotland. Any huge corporation in any huge sector can climb onto any number of better-suited content platforms. Call it Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, hell, even lacrosse. Samsung rolled the dice, more or less, relatively cheapy, and the return on investment on that deal could be great. We don't know. It could break even. We don't know. It could be not so great. We don't know. So if the amount of money going out is far greater than the amount of money coming in, why keep going? If plan A has taken us to this place, year five, with no fiscal return on investment, why keep going? And so that, David, brings us to plan B. And my question to you, David Lee Scales, is, who is the greatest sprinter on the planet?
0: Usain Bolt.
1: Who is the greatest swimmer on the planet? Michael Phelps. What do those two people have in common? Olympic gold medals. If you w- Correct, sir. If you went to Bulgaria and asked someone at the outdoor market somewhere in Bulgaria, what does the green jacket in golf represent? They would not know. I was
0: going to say, yeah. You and
1: I know. But in Bulgaria or Nigeria or some other third-world country, not so much. You ask that same person who is the greatest swimmer, they'll tell you Michael Phelps. You ask them who is the greatest sprinter, they will tell you Usain Bolt. So plan B for surfing, in my opinion, seems to be the 2020 Olympics. Surfing in the 2020 Olympics has the potential to pull this whole WSL Dirk Ziff endeavor out of the red and into the black. At least that seems to be what Ziff is thinking, according to me. (laughs) Four more years, and he might be right.
0: But, David,
1: but I'm almost through with my soliloquy. Only if there are waves early in the waiting period. There's a 16-day waiting period for this event in Japan. There's going to be a huge U.S. Open-type beach platform arena party set up there. NBC will cover this new sport in the Olympics only if there is something to cover early in the waiting period. But Mother Nature always sings last. If no waves show up in Japan, David... Early in the waiting period, surfing in the Olympics is screwed. There is no way NBC covers live surfing during the second half of the Olympics when they have swimming, gymnastics, soccer, track and field, golf, and other guaranteed sports with huge fan bases that the sponsors will demand be in prime time. So Ziff and the WSL fans of professional surfing are already trying to forecast a swell, which is four years away the most important swell in the history of pro surfing is four years away and we're already trying to forecast it.
0: Bang. I couldn't agree more, man. Uh, I don't think, no matter how good it is in Japan, I don't know that it can quite execute what you're suggesting it needs to execute. Because... It would have to be at Mavericks. It would have to be at Chopu. It would have to be at Pipeline in order to be that compelling of viewing. There's too much nuance um, for you and, and I. Insider, yeah. But insider, they, don't care,
1: they want the guy in Nigeria and Bulgaria to go. Oh, Kelly Slater. No,
0: but what I'm saying is, the viewer in Bulgaria doesn't care about a guy doing three turns to the beach at a beach break in Japan.
1: Can't relate to it. Can't
0: relate to it. Doesn't Can relate understand to running fast. But yeah, exactly. Doesn't know why those 3 turns are better than the next guy's 3 turns. Agreed. Or why a guy who does 2 turns got a bigger score than a guy got 3 turns. There's too much nuance there. So it I'm doesn't just that's translate what they're hoping to the viewer. But that's what, what plan B
1: what, is, is what But I'm what
0: saying. saying is in plan B, even if the waves are pumping at that beach break in Japan, yeah. it's not compelling enough viewing, you right. know, right. to really Compel a non surfing audience because to be honest it 's hardly compelling enough for you and I to watch when it 's at Rio exactly. or when it 's at even Margaret River or somewhere not death defined it
1: is what it is so it 's surfing
0: yeah, so I think for Dirk Ziff or whoever whomever to double down another one hundred million dollars for the next four years, hedging on that long bet that long shot what else could it be again, I just grasped this. You know, I like it. Out of thin
1: air. More I think or less. you're
0: right. I mean, from a much Why more you, global is, level, you're right. Like the Olympics are the only thing that would really elevate the sport to a world stage like that and get that type of revenue dollars from sponsors. I mean, the other thing that Plan B
1: could be is just a slow wind down, rather than pull the whole plug and leave the whole thing really
0: flat and on its face. So, slow wind down meaning a keep slow spending wind down of the WSL? Speed.
1: Spend less. For Until, what,
0: to what end, though? Either to, to just as as stop a, the out, bleeding. Out of res,
1: well, out of respect to the sport, you know, just kind of go. Hey, look, we don't want to just drop you on your face. We're going to slowly wind down, and by 2018, we're going to be done. And guess what? You got the Olympics coming up. That's good for you. And yeah, good luck. Yeah, that's. I mean, what is Plan B? What is if doing in there at, in Santa Monica if he's even there? Like, what? What is it? Uh, another is it continue to. Spend with no plan. That no, guy's no, no. too
0: smart for that. Of course. So there's there could be an alternative plan of like we are going to continue investing in this, but we're bringing in a new CEO. We have a brand new structure that we're going to implement that's going to change the revenue model or something. You know, it's not have no plan or keep doing the same thing. I agree. And so plan B
1: is hedging hedging on the Olympics or a slow wind down or what do you, the listener, think plan B could be? What are we missing here? Is plan B, hey, I'm coming in, I'm Dirk Ziff, I I can actually sell this thing to Coca-Cola? You know, like, I'm a step above speaker, like, I actually got so much clout that I play golf with the guy who runs Coca-Cola. Right. So, I'm going to make it happen.
0: For the listener, Dirk Ziff is stepping in as the interim CEO.
1: Interim only, interesting. Okay. Well, so it says interim,
0: I don't know. Did they get my...
1: Resume from the last time I applied. <laughs> They're like he applied for what was it? Creative <laughs> vice director. president
0: of creative director. Creative director, but he's much more qualified to run this.
1: Show. I'm still somewhat saddened that I didn't even get an email that said, "Hey, thanks for your." I mean, thanks for your resume. Yeah, yeah you're well, not qualified, but thanks for your like I, to not even get that. It's still that, coming. Don't worry.
0: Uh, well, they've been busy. <laughs> they've been busy trying to Maybe, figure out bigger. They have bigger fish to fry. Scott. Nothing's bigger than this ego, but. So let me ask you, though, that your piece was predicated on Nick Carroll's piece. Nick Carroll gave out some facts and figures. Yes. Million dollar endorsement deals that did never. Did you read it? No, I oh, didn't. It's
1: really good. It's on Swellnet.
0: But where did Nick come up with those numbers? Does he reference um, where those numbers came from? Well, a
1: lot of the numbers, of course, you know, it's privately held company, so it's not public domain, but. People have been in the surf business long enough to know how much it costs to run a contest and to understand, you know, like the answer is they're not hard numbers, you know, and maybe we're off base five million here or five million on one side or the other. I don't know.
0: But, but in the, the surf point industry. is, is that
1: the, the general feeling with a guy who I sat down with, who's a big time player in, in the industry, a big time guy, one of the top guys is like, dude. The thing's hemorrhaging. Like it cost this is like we know how much money it costs to fly around the world. To do an event in Fiji without a sponsor, you know, like it's just pricey.
0: But all Nick, of their Nick infrastructure. Carroll, correct me if I'm wrong. In the Nick Carroll piece, he said they were asking a million bucks per event for a headline sponsor, right? Yes. And they weren't able to get that in Fiji and other places, right. so they went sponsorless at right. those. And they just covered the expenses, obviously. So um he I'm says just wondering where f- that million dollars.
1: $50 million a year according to according to uh
0: is what the WSL's expense is to yeah. run the tour?
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. M- men's and women's fifty million a year.
0: Hmm. It's a lot of money to spend. It's a lot. Um by the way, let me just suggest. I know that Carol doesn't reference any hard figures or hard uh facts or quotes from specific people so it is all hearsay at this point so and most of what we do on this podcast is hearsay and it's a small enough business to where we can kind of verify things without giving somebody a direct uh quote but it's pretty common that ceos come and go like in the modern world like oh, in the sure, tech world sure. at the highest yeah, level three
1: five years is normal yeah, yeah, three yeah, to five yeah, years sure. is
0: normal. So this isn't really that far out. And it's also, no. we're at a time in business where, especially in the tech world, where uh, Duolingo, Uber, these big things lose money for a decade. They lose hundreds of millions of dollars for a decade without a revenue model even in place. I mean, Uber certainly had a revenue model, but Instagram had no revenue model when it got purchased by Facebook for $1 billion with eight employees after 18 months or something like that. Facebook bought it for a billion dollars with no revenue model. So that's a huge hemorrhaging of money, but there's a plan on the back end. And I don't know if they've actually been able to see a return on that investment, but it's not uncommon.
1: Well, you're right. And Nick points out sort of to your point, and I'll read again from Nick's column. He said, look, it's a fully functioning world tour. It has a big wave tour. It has an awesome woman's tour. It's got a slick production facility and the best wave pool in existence. It could easily look from Ziff's angle that he now owns the sport across many facets, and it's only a matter of time before he cashes in somehow. Yeah. And that's, you know... You and I are riffing here from a place of as is the norm ignorance, and um, but just you know, sort of taking it for what it is. You know, it's it seems as if all the experts have told me that it's not doing well. I hope I'm wrong. I know. But I hope here, they're wrong.
0: I mean, I have to just recognize what I was the conclusion I was coming to about Instagram and even Facebook. We all know the story, obviously, of Zuckerberg. Not implementing a revenue model for a very long time with Facebook and just building the viewership and the the usership. So you and I are trying to apply traditional business model to what they're doing and going, hey, man, you can't just keep spending money, whereas I think forward thinkers – have figured out a new model which is just build get, get the eyeballs base. get, get yeah. eyeballs we will figure that out later. Yeah. We have deep enough pockets to fund this longer than you guys think. Yeah. And don't worry, we'll make it happen.
1: And it's sure. funny that you say that because so many times when I have worked for corporations, you're always going don't just trust us like we're putting out a great product like you know, and yeah. of course the MBAs on the other side of New York are going, "Hey, Unless there's revenue attached to this, yeah. we're not funding it. You right. know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I would jump in and and contribute to invest in the project, but I have a feeling that how other much is have the bigger-
1: WSL worth if you sold it right now at like a five times multiple? You know, just its assets. Do they own that building in Santa Monica? That's probably worth five million bucks.
0: The no land? Clue. I have no clue, dude.
1: Five million is nothing if it's 50 million a year. That means they've spent 250 million already. How much have they brought in? Let's say they brought in in revenues. 50 million?
0: I'd be surprised if so.
1: So they're out 200 million so far. Yeah. So the, the big question is Plan B, like, does Plan B have a number attached to it? Like when we get to 400 million, we're out? I don't know. Or the Olympics is our savior? Yeah. which is what one guy seems to think that I like that the I Olympics, like that Olympics Olympics could be the savior and they all look at the snowboard model as an example yeah. yeah that snowboarding came in and and it kind of blew the snowboarding culture up like all the hardcore snowboarders were like oh that's lame you know yeah. because what had to happen was you know a governing body kind of took over yeah you know and that's what has to happen right. at least surfing already has isa and fernando and The governing bodies sort of aligned culturally. But this also brings up the question of in Japan in 2020, if Olympics is the savior for the WSL and for the sport of surfing on a global sports marketing uh, level, why not the wave pool? If the wave pool exists, why not the wave pool? And I asked this question of my expert, and he said, hey, look, 2017, as you know, this year in France, they're having the first sort of test run of national teams competing against national teams. In 2018, they start qualifying for the 2020 Olympics. It's all going to be done without a wave pool. And right now, Japan is going to be wave pool-less. The people in Japan do not want a wave pool. Yeah. So the idea of, oh, wave pools are going to be part of the equation that saves it, right now... It's not. And it's right. not as easily easy as just implementing it. Of course. How do you judge in a wave pool? How does it go down? Does one guy go at a time? Do you have to do compulsory moves? You have to get tube do a, a roundhouse cutback and an aerial before we even look at your style? Yeah. Like it, it, you know, and so none of that has even been touched. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot heavier than you think, how that gets judged and who the judges are and why they're judging the way they're judging. and Yeah it's a whole nother ballgame
0: however the solution comes to be or however it gets programmed is yet to be determined but i can't help but feel like we are all underestimating the potential uh appeal that surfing has to the greater mass masses and i think you snowboarding you just argued against it though i did no i did understands
1: the nuance of the podcast and it's hard enough for us to watch it let alone my grandmother in iowa
0: Hey, I am a complex human being. Scott and I have opposing views in my own head that I can't reconcile, and we, that's what this podcast is for—for for us to tease we call them apart. that a
1: hypocrite,
0: <laughs> <laughs> call that bipolar disorder. Okay. No, so but I, I do think both things, and I think that you know people. If you bought property on the coast in the 40s, you thought that you overpaid for it. And now you're looking like a hero. Nobody could have estimated how much things will increase, how much demand would be on the real estate, how many people would be interested in snowboarding in that example, how many people would be using Facebook within a decade time, less than a decade's time since it was created. So I have a feeling like… We we are small minded and yes. we have no idea what things can become, and so
1: I put that on my resume: small minded, no idea really what to expect. <laughs> no wonder I haven't got a call back.
0: Savvy, good thinking. I
1: agree with you. You know, you make a great point, and I, and I will say this too: is that the Olympics, of course, have as much to do with the person and the story behind the person as they do the actual, you know, thirty seconds that he competes in his event. Always so. If there's a compelling story, if it's John John Florence or it's a guy like Adriano from the depths of the Brazilian slum to world champion, if there's – in 2020, if there's – you know, Kanoa Igarashi could be a story that's molded magnificently. Yeah. Um, You know, who's the really great story out there that NBC goes, okay – this is our great American hope. This is the guy we're going to build our broadcast around. If the waves come, Kanoa's the guy that we're going to build a story around. Or right. is it Kolohe? Or frankly, let's think internationally, you know, who is that guy? Is it John John? Is it Gabe Medina?
0: Hey, good news. There's a ton of great stories. We have an endless supply current like in surfing. Surfers are fascinating figures,
1: and the greatest story of the Olympics is how are they going to deal with Hawaii as a nation state. Oh, right. That's the one that that's fascinating, and yeah. it was brought up. Did you watch the Surfline uh, yeah. Red Bull TV? I think I sent you a text, yeah. right? I'm like, dude, you got to watch this. It's insane. Yeah, Mason Ho's on the microphone. Chris Cote did a great job. Four hours of just solid broadcasting with nary a break. Yeah, that's a hard job to do. Um, and there was another guy, um the guy from surfing magazine uh, yeah I'll Brad or uh, uh, brian I'll, I'll figure oh, it out anyway. in a
0: minute. Uh, by the way, somebody sent me yeah, a text no. saying he sounded like my voice doppelganger
1: i don 't know what doppelganger means what is that it
0: means lookalike oh. like a german yeah, it 's a german word uh it's used for lookalike, but he said he did a great job bo whoever he was Climester.
1: yeah, bo he did a great job he he and he does have a good voice, and i 'm not saying that you do either. <laughs> Um, but my point is that at some point during that broadcast of Live Pipeline, Todd Richards, the yep. Olympic snowboarder, came on. And he was really good. And he brought up the the issue of the Hawaiian sovereignty and the Hawaiian nation state as a surfing nation in the Olympics. And that has to be resolved. You know, that's one of the issues that simply...
0: Do they compete as American, as USA well, competitors, once, or do you separate
1: them? Once the Olympics says that Hawaii can be its own nation state, you realize what you've done for every sport. Yeah. Every sport can now go, oh, well, the Iroquois nation is going to compete in soccer, mm-hmm. even though they all are American citizens, uh, yeah. you know, U.S. citizens. So I don't think the Olympics, the IOC wants to, you know, that's, that's a very slippery slope. Totally. But uh, Todd, Todd Richards is going to be at the boardroom. He's going to be one of the um, commentators during the Olympics. We're doing sem- a seminar discussion on the Olympics, and it's what it means to surfing. Yeah, and Todd will be there as one of the uh, cool speakers.
0: Yeah, I've always liked Todd when he fills in during surf. He's broadcast. great, and he
1: does the Olympic snowboarding. Yeah, broadcast.
0: exactly. For NBC, right? He's a smart guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, just a side note with the Paul Speaker stepping down thing. Did you have some inside gossip about Speaker or why he stepped down, other than what we just? Said? Just what I told you uh, that okay.
1: look, the numbers don't match up after five years. And revenues aren't where they're supposed to be. And Got he it. did do a lot of good things, but at the end of the day, if you're an MBA looking at your CEO, you're going, "Dude, show me the money." Yeah. Like, where's the ROI? You, you know, you did a lot of. He did a lot of good things, but the biggest thing that he had to do, which was get this thing so, at least to break even after five years, apparently he didn't do according to you and mine and others' best estimation of where the where the fiscal situation is.
0: Well. Interesting kind of uh, segue, talking about surfing as an industry struggling. Yesterday, the news broke that Surfing Magazine is no longer going to be printing issues. They're going to transition to a strictly online publication. How did you um, feel about that? What was your internal... My my first thought was, didn't that already happen? Like, is, are they still printing that magazine? <laughs> I haven't been looking at it. Oh, my God,
1: it. really?
0: <laughs> no. Well... It was partially that because this this was rumored a year ago. You know what I mean? Like we've been talking about this for a long time. It has been, Uh, and also, I mean, realistically, I haven't been subscribed to either any magazine for a long time.
1: Exactly, nobody is.
0: But I do absolutely follow it on Instagram, and I do absolutely click on their links on Facebook and watch the videos that they post. So. I'm still watching their content, but everything that I watch of theirs is digitally produced. I'm not actually thumbing through the magazine. So I wasn't just, surprised. I
1: think they're going to still exist in that capacity. I don't really know. I didn't read any press releases about it or anything. Yeah, any. they are.
0: Yeah, They are. Okay, it's yeah. going straight digital. Yeah. So what did what was your thought on it when you saw the news? Well...
1: You know, initially you're bummed out because people are losing their jobs. You, th- I thought yeah. maybe they're not. I don't no, know. No, they
0: are actually. They've been losing their jobs over the course of the last year. And that's a They've bummer. You know, them. that's
1: always a really a sad thing. You know, um, luckily those guys are mostly young and they're gonna they're gonna be okay. I mean, I hate to sound sort of you know trite or cliche about it, but I think they'll all get back on their feet. But there's some very talented guys over there, not the least of which. This is our photo editor, Pete uh, Tarras. Is it Tarras or Terrace? Terrace.
0: Yeah. Let me ask you about that, actually. You say they're, all gonna, they're young. They're going to get back on their feet. Pete listens to this show. I've met Pete and hung out with him a couple of times. I'm a big fan of his work, aside from the fact that he listens to this show. But where does Pete go? Where do guys like that go? In this modern market, where yeah. do surf journalists make a living? I'm not sure that they do. Where do photographers make a living?
1: How? Yeah. You know what? That's that's a great question, and I wonder if there's other industries that can kind of give us the answer to that.
0: I think a great example is somebody like um, Chris Burkhardt, uh, uh, Morgan Mawson. Where those those guys, guys are
1: busting their ass just to pull it off. I mean, No, no,
0: no. Those guys have pivoted hard. Oh, really? They've, yeah, like they got their feet wet in the surf industry and then transitioned into – all outdoors shooting. everything all well burkhard's a great outdoor guy but even product photography they're getting into product photography and i remember morgan shot morgan mossen shot a cover of surfer mag that apple wanted to use in an ipad ad where they're like hey we love that shot we'd love to have that so they hired him to shoot the apple ipad and he made more money off that one day shooting an Apple iPad than he probably would have off of six months shooting surf photography. And the surf photography isn't guaranteed, whereas you go do this product shoot at a staged studio, it's all guaranteed. You know what I mean? So those guys, they get a talent agent, a manager, yeah, they who they gotta- just get some work. And these fashion photographers and product uh, – or fashion companies and product companies, they're like – we love surfing. We would love to have that guy's name attached to our product. Yeah, it's there is a, there is
1: some cool that There's they bring along. There. Yeah,
0: so I would love to see Pete Terrace pivot, get some management representation, and still dabble in surf photography or shoot surfing as a passion, but also just make a killing doing product photography. You know.
1: Well, yeah, I hope I hope he and the rest of them do you know pull it off. Um, now to answer your question. What was my thought? Here is what's interesting. I worked at Surfer Magazine um, from '98 to like 08, mm-hmm. 2007 or 2008. Um, when I worked at Surfer Magazine, we hated Surfing Magazine, and Surfing Magazine hated us. There was a time on the North Shore when Surfing Magazine, I think they they sent us a box of donuts, a dozen donuts, and they had wiped their asses with each donut. And they deliver donuts in a sign of good faith. Like, hey, stoked you guys are here. Heard you arrived safe. Here's some donuts, you know. And I think it might have been Steve Zeldin or some... Well, I forget who was behind it. Maybe it was Michael Marks or maybe it was Larry Moore. It might have been, you know, Flame. I don't... There was a crew of guys that, said that There's the infamous donuts. I remember so, hearing
0: this. So, wait. So, let, let me, let me finish surfing this. Magazine. Let me finish that story. Isn't it true that... You guys ate the donuts and then later received photographs of them wiping their butt. With There's the some donuts.
1: truth to this, yes. I don't. I I um, was privy to this story. Before. I I wasn't there. This happened oh, okay. in like '97 or '96, okay. just a few years before.
0: But the big reveal was receiving the photographs right. going, oh, no. Yes. No. Exactly.
1: Like somebody like Ben Marcus ate a bunch of donuts
0: or something. I don't remember. <laughs> He's currently it. on the couch like sleeping it off when the photographs show up.
1: Yeah. And so point is is that there was a real feud. Yeah. There was a real hate between surfer and surfing. And I've always sort of carried that because I guess I'm immature or whatever. But I've always kind of went, ah, surfing. Because eh, they were the enemy, you know. Yeah. And even when we – I worked there when we purchased surfing magazine and then they were under the fold of, you know, the big corporate mega mega corporation that owned us, you know, yeah. and, and there was still this like, Oh, we can't be in the same building with those guys. So when I saw surfing magazine closed, you know, my second thought was good riddance. Cause that's the enemy. Kind of like my right. team is surfer and that, you know, now again, that's obviously quite immature, but if you want my honest, immature, First feelings, I was like, "Oh, good," and then I realized, "God, that's immature." And here we are, yeah, still immature.
0: Um, so I read a piece, but there
1: was a major feud, feud, yeah, for of years.
0: Uh, my, I read a piece by Michael Chiaramella, who apparently worked as an intern for surfing and then was on staff as a salaried employee with surfing as a like a writer, and he's now writing some pieces on beach grit, and so he talked about. Surfing really lovingly and said it was a great experience and I long wanted to work there and then I finally did and I had a great experience, worked with great people, and then said, Quote, I should preface this criticism by mentioning that I joined the team in a very precarious moment wherein producing a fluid stream of income took precedence over all else. It seemed to me that we sacrifice certain production quality and moral standards in order to grow our numbers and become, in the eyes of the enthusiast network, not a liability. End quote. By the way, the enthusiast network is the over. Uh, the, the corporate corporation that owned the magazine.
1: Yeah. Or it's a subsidiary of a larger corporation. That's all quite confusing. That owns surfer and canoe and biking and and climbing and powder and a bunch of, and then a bunch of other stuff, like probably a whole nother
0: segment of like guns and whiskey. I don't even know what they are. A bunch of other magazines. So back to Michael's quote, this led to atrocious practices like a wetsuit field test with only positive reviews can't upset the brands that buy into your projects and social media schemes that were intended to drive traffic through any means necessary, like following people so they'd follow us back and then subsequently unfollowing them. End quote. So, well,
1: look, this is the the biggest picture, the big reveal about all these magazines and Surfline and, is that they're all marketing vehicles for the surf industry. Like shocker, as soon as you think. And, and quite frankly, for a long time, I thought there was a separation between editorial and advert- advertising. But in the big picture of things, they're just trying to drive the industry, these magazines and these websites. Mm-hmm. And so there's not going to be any editorial integrity. And there's nothing wrong with that you just everyone understands it that's an mba and that's you know like had some business savvy it's like that's what we do we're here to support the industry why would we write a negative review about a wetsuit
0: totally and i i've understood that implicitly if nothing else since i was pretty young you know but i was also okay with it because i knew the company that was placing the ad quicksilver was started by Bob McKnight and Jeff Hackman and I was like dude I like that guy I've seen him surf and like I want to support him and he made those board shorts so that he could go surf Sunset with him
1: and like that's radical I'm okay with that pre-multinational corporation owning the surf industry pre that
0: right you know but also then later in later generations Dane Reynolds and his affiliation with the brand and I want to support that up until we discuss chapter 11 you know like and it all falls apart but now when Quicksilver grows too big for its britches I don't know. Ruka steps in and does something rad on a small level, or Rourke revival, or whoever the next thing is, and I want now I want to support that, you know. Or to be perfectly honest, Beach Grit shows up and they're writing articles that fascinate me, and then they introduce a board short on their website, and I'm happy to throw them fifty bucks for that board short, you know. Yeah. Does, does, does Beach Grit have board short advertising? Dude, they're terrible. I, <laughs> what are, what are I bought the $50 board shorts. What are they? The inseam is shorter than my boxers. What are, who makes them? Beach, Be- they're called Beach Grit? Beach Grit. They're Beach Grit labeled board shorts. And they <laughs> they uh, they hired a designer, like some fancy designer. They're they so short, though, dude. Literally, uh, I wear... Short shorts. I Chaz wear, must have designed them. I wear boxer briefs. Yeah. They're longer than beach grits board shorts. Oh, wow. but my point is, I was happy to throw them the fifty bucks to support them. Yeah, and when they showed up, I'm like, well, I'm not going to be able to wear these. But guess what? I'm happy that Some homeless Derek, man. Will. I'm happy that Derek and Chaz got my fifty bucks because yeah. I want to support them. You yeah. know what I mean? For sure. So,
1: well, so that's that's it's a sad day, I guess, but not really. Another thing that, about the surfing magazine thing is. My friend pointed this out to me, and it's why he absolutely hates surfing culture. In his mind, it doesn't even exist, and it's because we have so much self-importance. We we think I we're agree. so fucking totally important. Agree. We think we're so. Oh my god! A sad day. Surfing magazine shuttered its doors. Uh, who cares? Like in the big picture, like we're not that important. And we there's so much ego and and self. Like it's just bullshit.
0: I'm also not. I hate. The hand wringers who are just like, yeah, but where are the jobs going to go? Who's going to – what are they going to do? People are going to get fired. My thought is, look, you constantly throughout life have to navigate and negotiate and you need to figure out what your skill sets are and apply those to this new world that we're living in. There's never been a better time to be a pioneer. There's never been a time to be an artist and a creator. Like I read this Seth Godin book, The Marketing Dude. Yeah. A while back where he's like, dude, if you just went to college to learn a trade thinking that those jobs are going to be available to you, you're an idiot. Those companies are no longer there giving out those jobs. And by the way, even if they are, that job doesn't pay as much as it used to. And it doesn't pay enough to pay back your student loans. If you thought that it was going to, again, you're an idiot. Secondly... They're not gonna pay you for fifty years and have a retirement package waiting for you like they were for your dad's generation. And they're not gonna give you promotions throughout those fifty years to increase with your cost of living because they'll just they're just gonna replace you with a guy who just got out of college, who's desperate to work for thirty thousand dollars a year. Yep. And they're probably not even gonna do that. They're just gonna outsource your job to India, to China for $8,000 $8,000 a year yep. or replace it with a robot who's going to do it for essentially a one-time investment of $10,000. So you're an idiot if you th- think that those that trade is replicable. It is replicable, but it's going to get outsourced. Now, here's what is replicable in Seth Godin's eyes. Here's what are job qualities that will exist in the future. Leadership skills and creative a ability to creatively solve problems. If you can creatively solve problems and you have leadership skills, that will make you irreplaceable. That will make you valuable. So companies that used to have 50 employees that were making $40,000 a year are now going to have eight employees that are making $100,000 a year. And those people are going to be programmers and they're going to be creative problem solvers. That's what you want to foster.
1: Seth in also um, has one of the greatest quotes ever. I think it's Seth. He's a brilliant guy. And, um, I don't know if you follow his, uh, he's got a, his Twitter account, but anyway, um, he says that as soon as you get a job, you very, the most important thing that you do at your next job, at your new job is be looking for your next job. That's your number one responsibility is to be looking for your next job. And the reason he says that is because because your employer is looking for your replacement always and I think that's true
0: I think it is true and I think it should be noted that your next job could be within the same company it's not that you're looking to undermine the company you work for you your next job should be your boss's job actually you know we're filled with so much insight this has been an inspirational podcast Good God, I feel what like, are we even talking are we still talking about surfing who's the guy that
1: I feel like what's one of those
0: Tony uh, Robbins. Yes, uh, thank you. So I think this segment is dedicated to the Pete Terraces at Surfing Mag, who maybe are looking. I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe already has a job. I don't know. But like, look, guys, there's never been a better time. Let this be a time of inspiration to create more than you've ever created. Now there's a. You have more platforms now to showcase your art and uh, embrace it. Find the revenue model, but it, embrace it the creation. It doesn't mean it's not
1: scary for those guys. Dude, it's it's scary for completely. all
0: of us. <laughs> I don't underestimate that, and I don't not sympathize. I've been oh, yeah. in that position. Yeah. But embrace it and create. There's a job at the WSL. <laughs> um We kind of brushed past the Red Bull pipeline, this is live thing. That's a great example of a company pivoting and embracing new technology. You and I have long complained about great days at Pipeline or other places around the world that the contest doesn't run in. And then the Pipe Masters comes and it's during two weeks where there isn't great swell and they have to figure out how to package it into something interesting. Red Bulls figured out a scenario where they execute on the best day of the year, put up a couple cameras, stream it live, get Chris Cote over there in short notice, and have him just narrate what's happening. And then we didn't know that was going to—the day before that happened, did you know Red Bull was going to do that? I did not.
1: No, it kind Nor of came up on the radar. It Boom. happens
0: live. Instagram disperses it out to the world and says, hey, man, go over to Red Bull TV and watch this thing stream live. And
1: I saw it on Surfline. And guess what I did? I emailed you. I text, texted sent you a text. so said, dude, you guess, guess what's going on right now? Yeah. And there's a million guys like me doing that to guys like you. And you probably sent it to somebody.
0: Absolutely. And a number of people sent it to me. In addition to you, because it was friggin' insane. And we it got was so
1: good, it was pumping the whole like it was nonstop action. It wasn't like there was lulls
0: or anything. No, and sometimes the like in the we'll see a post produced package of the best waves and the best wipeouts. But for me, what's most interesting is watching guys take off on the middle waves and make them or not make them and try to figure out which waves are the good waves watching sets roll through and clear clear out the lineup like on top of that getting insight from the guys that are the head guys in the
1: you know like the jamie o'briens and the mason hoes just picking up little insights from them just some of the things that they might have said like you know not necessarily like loud and proud but you could just tell that you, I felt like I learned something about the lineup, about the people, about which guys' place, where he belonged in the lineup, about how much respect some guys had for others. You know, we saw Michael Ho get insane waves out there at sixty years old, and just yeah. super inspiring, and and um, Derek Ho, and you know, I knew, I know now that Jamie Sterling rides this nine foot gun and sits and rolls in on the second reefers. And that's his spot, you know, and and, you know, you just pick up different. and then you're right. You saw guys that are cutting their teeth that they didn't even say their names that in six years, if they continue to cut their teeth, they're going to probably have a little bit of a spot in the lineup.
0: And seeing it um, unedited also gives you an understanding for where waves break on the reef and the different styles of waves. And where they break at different parts in the reef that I didn't really have before, and that you don't get during the Pipe Masters where there's only two guys waiting for the best waves in the lineup. In this scenario, you're watching guys take off on C quality waves and D quality waves because the pecking order gets the top guy, the guys at the top of the pecking order get the set waves and the good waves. So it gave me a much better appreciation and understanding for the spot that I don't really get through a lot of the other broadcasts. Um, I think it was a great, great event. uh, Great thing to see. I hope that we see more of it in the future. Um, Another thing that happened was the backdoor shootout. Prior to that event, the backdoor shootout ran for a couple of days. And they ran in really, really good waves. Um, So that was exciting to watch and see top performers.
1: Yeah, no, the backdoor shootout was great. Um, Of course, Cole Rothman got that insane... Super deep. Probably as deep. I mean, who am I to argue against the guys that live there and surf there? But that was just mind-blowingly deep. It was a closeout. And it reminded me of Derek Ho. Derek Ho, I think it was 94 or 91. Some, one of those years. Maybe it was 89. I don't know. <laughs> Derek Ho got this insane... During the contest, in the. I think it was the semifinals, he got that just mental deep where you literally turned away and went and had given up on him and he came out. Yeah. And this is the way... That Koa's was. It well, was just- Koa,
0: not to jump ahead, but Koa is my duke for that one wave.
1: Yeah. Um, well, you just jumped ahead. I did. You said you wouldn't. You know. Right.
0: You're, you brought him up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crown him as the duke. Like, it was a closeout. He takes off on this thing, one giant pump off the bottom into a closeout and somehow gets spat out the end. It defies physics. Like you look at it and you go the from where he I saw him enter the barrel and where I saw him exit and the amount of time in between there's no way he could have gone that something fast. happened
1: in there that it's we cosmic. don't know about it's that, Timothy
0: Leary stuff to- you know? yes there, like it's somehow he got pulled
1: like there he was attached to some sort of ethereal strings and pulled out of the wave quantum
0: physics like it there's no way He transversed time, the time-space continuum, and got blown out like, uh, yeah, mind-blowing.
1: Somebody on uh, Surfer Magazine forums wants to make note that it's no coincidence that Trump takes office and surfing magazine jobs are lost.
0: Agreed. Definitely. Thanks, Trump. That's trumped Um, up. So one other thing that happened during that run of Pipeline is that Kalani Chapman nearly died yes did you see this footage sad
1: yeah I saw that
0: yeah it's insane that nowadays we get all this stuff on camera it's really um, heartening to watch competitors so there's footage of the wave itself and it 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 didn't look all that like a big deal did it it didn't it's not the craziest wave we've seen this year but it was kind of in the worst he ate it in the worst place of that wave for sure by the way, Kalani Chapman, long-time pipe charger. I've surfed Adam with him in the North Shore, uh, not at pipe. But, like, the dude's gnarly. The dude's gnarly, and oh, he yeah. surfs pipe all the time. Like, if this can happen to Kalani Chapman, he's it a, can definitely happen to anybody. Oh,
1: yeah. No, he, he's completely legit and just taken down Slater a few times. And he's won the
0: Wave of the Winter at Pipeline. Oh, yeah. So, he's what the happened ne- nephew was, of Al Chapman. Yeah. And brother, stepbrother to Sean Briley. Right. So... Gnarly dude, and um, took off on this wave. Basically, ate it when the thing was doubling up, and got sucked over the falls and slammed against the reef. And competitors, this was during the backdoor shootout, by the way, the Dahui event. Competitors Seth, Mo, Seth Moniz and Nathan Florence saw Kalani's tombstoning board, and that Kalani was nowhere to be found. But the reality was, he was underneath the water pulling on the. His leg was attached to the leash, and that's why the board was tombstoning. So they saw that. They scrambled over to him, pulled his leash to the surf, pulled him to the surface via his leash, and uh, Kalani was unconscious. So the surf patrol comes over, and they're able to get him onto the surf patrol's sled, take him to the beach, and the Hawaiian Water Patrol administered CPR and successfully revived him on the beach. Looks like Kalani's going to make a full recovery. But a very harrowing and scary, scary moment to see the video of the wipeout, the tombstoning board, everybody scrambling, getting him on the sled while waves are crashing, getting him into the beach. The crowd of the Hawaiian Water Patrol doing the CPR. Really, really scary couple of minutes. And again, thankfully... He will make a full recovery. Wow. I'm glad he's going to be doing better. Yeah, I'll have that footage on surfsplendorpodcast.com, of course.
1: Well, you mentioned Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg apparently has upset a lot of people in Hawaii. I'm just now catching up to the story. I don't know if you have some insight on it.
0: You know, I do. He's actually my kook of the week. Um, He bought some
1: land in Kauai, 700-acre property, fell in love with the community and the cloudy green mountains, according to him. (laughs) (laughs) And he wants to plant roots and join the community ourselves. And uh, Zuckerberg's lawyers have now filed lawsuits against hundreds of Hawaiians who may own an interest in small parcels within the boundaries of Zuckerberg's estate. The quiet title suits, first reported by the Honolulu Star Advertiser, are used to clarify the often complicated history of land ownership in Hawaii and can result in owners being forced to sell their land at auction. In some cases, defendants are even required to pay the legal fees for the plaintiff, in this case, the world's fifth richest man, Zuckerberg. So um, the Hawaiians in Kauai that are upset about this are calling Zuckerberg the face of neocolonialism. And um, for uh, native Hawaiians, it's it's definitely a slap in the face. Um, And... I'm reading through this here.
0: Yeah, a tale as old as time in Hawaii, right? I mean, people coming in and booting the local people. I'm. There There is a long storied history of this, and there's also a storied history of the government screwing the local people, yeah. the government getting in bed with big moneyed interests and corporate yeah. interests and taking payoffs. I don't know that it's really that black and white, to be honest, and I don't understand the nuance of it well enough to really comment. And so maybe I shouldn't be calling Zuckerberg the kook of the week. However, uh, I don't know. It's kind of easy to it's kind of easy to do, and there seems to be some uh, substance to it. I will read one commenter's comment from Beach Grit. There was an article written on Beach Grit by one of our listeners. Uh, Adam Jara, who's sent us a number of emails and comments. And the title of that article is Imperialism, The Zuck Versus Kauai. And he does kind of shame Zuckerberg in this piece. But the comment is what I want to read. This comment was left by Velob Woi. He says, quote, So, Zuckerberg's land is not owned by locals. He owns a large swath of land that he bought from the Jimmy Fugler slash Mary Lucas estate. Within that swath are the Kulanis. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Think half acre spots of various land in the swath that have, for the most part, been the people been in the people's hands for generations. Access to these culanis is across Zuckerberg's land, hence his desire for privacy. I don't know if all these culanis have uh, utility easements. Carlos Andrade, I'm totally going to mispronounce everybody's names, Andrade. Carlos, Carlos Andrade. Andrade? Yeah. He's a heavy Hanalei local, is... The professor who's assisting Zuckerberg. As with most such issues, the reality is not quite so black and white as the above hot take makes it out. Obviously, the seeming coercive aspects of Zuckerberg's action is the most reprehens- reprehensible. If he offers the owners well above market value and they take him up on it, that's one thing. If someone is forced to sell because they can't afford an attorney, that is bullying. And it's a human rights infraction that shouldn't be tolerated by the community. Anyone vilifying Zuckerberg's need to include members of Kauai's county government and planning commission over the last sixty years, whose plantation slash mafioso mentality made possible the current zoning and land use fiasco, that is Kauai. So,
1: well, it looks what I'm reading here too, and I'm just getting caught up on this is that Zuckerberg feels as if he's doing the right thing by trying to pay fair market value to descendants that may or may not lay claim to this land. Um, you know, he, he's like, look, how much do you want? You know? And I guess um, on the other side of that, this land was slated for like a 90-home development. Yeah, And certainly Zuckerberg owning this land and keeping it open, although probably not the perfect situation for some, is better than a ninety home development, I would think. But again, I, I'm I'm naive to exactly all the ins and outs of this. It looks quite complicated.
0: It's worth worth mentioning on this show, but it is much more complicated than you and I, and we really don't have any skin in the game either. So I have a feeling that even if we um, shamed Zuckerberg as the kook, it's still not to a large enough degree that the people of Kauai would want it to be. I'm sure they feel very adamantly about this. You know. Yeah. Uh, But at the same time, man, I don't know. If you buy property, (laughs) you want privacy on that property. Yeah,
1: you own it, you own it. If you don't, you don't. Let's figure out how that works. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I don't know. Um, There's there's an article that was written on Playboy.com that's actually really interesting and well-written about how crystal meth almost killed big wave surfing. Did you see this? No. I I read the reference to it on Beach Grit, um, but it's really well-written, dude. And it's really insightful. It's about Vince Collier's Santa Cruz. You know, we've... Nineties,
1: 1997.
0: We've talked about that story before. But Vince Collier coming up in Santa Cruz um, and then dealing with this character named Jeff Ayers, who is drug-running and fascinating, fascinating figures that are super scary And then Anthony Rufo's drug use and how that affected his surfing career. Fleas. All these people who we've all talked about, who we all know, kind of their stories. But it was written about in a really raw way and told some really, really scary stories. So I'm going to have a link to that on uh, surfsplendorpodcast.com with some excerpts. And you should read the full piece on playboy.com. I only know play – I mean – I've never subscribed to Playboy. I've never spent any time on their website. I'm well aware of their publication, of course, but I've never really read any of their stuff. This was really good, and it had nothing to do with boobies at all. It was just about surfing, and it was really well written. So check that out, How Crystal Meth Almost Killed Big Wave Surfing. All right. Check that out. Um, I know we have a hard out because we've got another meeting that's taking place here. Do you want to wrap up with Dukes and Kooks and Mussy Moments? I, I gave you my Duke, Cole Rothman, my kook, Mark Zuckerberg. My must-see moment came from the comments section on surfsplendorpodcast.com from Griffin, who said, Hey, have you guys seen the weak rap videos from Surfing Life? They are tragically underviewed. Are you familiar with these weak rap videos? No. I don't think I am. They're actually really good, dude. Um, they're basically weak rap. It's a joke. W-E-A-K. but it is a weekly wrap-up uh it's in reference to doing a week turn in surfing the week wrap anyways this guy one of their guys one of their staff members does these three minute long end of the week reviews for surfing uh did i say surfing life i think so yeah yeah. surfing life they're hilarious it's a dude basically it's like a the snl you know news rap kind of thing and he's just commenting on who did the coolest turn or who Produce the best video, or what magazine did a crappy article, or just it's all comedic, but they are very, very good. And I have watched them over the course of the last year, and I, I watch them, I giggle, and then I move on and I close the window and I don't think twice about it. But Griffin on com, thank you for bringing this to our attention. Yeah. We will re watch and direct people. They get about 3,000 views. Um, I'll actually just give you a quick, quick. Quick insight right here with his review
1: of uh, what youth. What youth. Because they're starting to put the next generation of younger guys in their videos. If they didn't do it, the original pack of guys would have started to become old. And their name would have actually became literal. They would have had to start putting a question mark at the end of their logo. And then pronounce, started pronouncing it with an upward inflection. What youth. What youth.
2: What Youth. What youth. What youth? youth? What? This?
0: That might not have translated, but what he's referencing is What Youth. Bravo for them for pivoting and having young guys in their videos because for the last couple of years, they've had Dion Aegius and Dane Reynolds and guys who are in their mid to late 20s for a publication that's called What Youth. So, What Youth. uh, Anyway, Week Rap Videos, my must see moment.
1: All right. Well, you can check all this stuff out on um, boardroomshow.com or surfsplendorpodcast.com dot com, and again thank you so much for your subscriptions and donations and keep them coming and um you can reach scott
0: at surftalksandiego at gmail.com and david at hello at surf dot com, and then of course instagram is a great way to get instant access and that is at SurfSplendor.
1: oh and we want to know um David and I are thinking about putting together a surf trip with listeners. Oh, yeah! So, if that's something that you guys are into, if there's, um, if you're interested in joining us somewhere, maybe Central America, maybe Mexico. Mexico.
0: We're talking about Morocco is kind of the ideal location, but it would have to take place during this time of year. So maybe we plan that for next year. Yeah, for, and try to squeeze in a trip between. Yeah, something now in, and then, and
1: in, in the summertime of yeah. this year. Um, a surf trip with David and Scott. And we've never even surfed together. So this will be, if you come with us on a surf trip, it'll be the first time that, that you not only have seen David and Scott, but the first time Scott and Scott, Scott and David have seen
0: Scott and David. <laughs> but surf. Here's where this idea comes from real quickly. A, f- a friend actually sent me the idea, but, We want to foster community. Like, this is community, and it's kind of an online community. But the comment section on Beach Grit's a community that we really enjoy. Our comment section on the website's great. People email us. People interact on Instagram. Why not just do a surf trip together? And, like, we could tell everybody, hey, come surf our local spot with us. But our listenership is worldwide. So let's pick a destination spot. Let's do a week-long trip, and we all hang out. Yeah. We're all of like-minded ilk. Yeah. Right?
1: Costa Rica, Nicaragua, El Salvador, something like that. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. So
0: it ga- we're just trying to gauge interest with this.
1: Yeah. Send us. If you want to join us, let us know. Let
0: us know, and then we'll figure out the numbers, the location, the dates, and all that. Yeah. Probably be like six guys, max. I was thinking 10. Something like that. I think we'd have interest of 30, so we're going to have to you yeah. know, figure it out. Yeah. Can't, can't go you going to have to be right I don't yeah, I was going to say I don't I don't want to go surf with 30 other dudes but
1: no, hell no we'll figure it out alright well until next time then uh, adios and aloha and run away and hide. Well, you can sit on chimneys, put some fire up your ass no need to know what you're doing or waiting for but if I
2: should I?
0: Thanks for listening. SurfSplendorPodcast.com is the website. You can find everything that we discussed in this episode there. You can also click that donation button, throw some change into the bucket, help this show to grow. We would appreciate that. And another great way to invest in this show is just to share it with friends. We've seen listenership actually take a pretty big spike in recent, I don't know, month or so. I'm not sure what it is due to, but I'm grateful for it. I really appreciate it, and... Um, Last week I did an episode an interview with Surf Rider Foundation's CEO Dr. Chad Nelson. So I think that that attracted some new listenership so or their their uh, platform basically them advertising that episode attracted first time listeners. So if you're new to this show, welcome. I hope that you enjoyed this different format of Surf News. And like I said, the best way to help us is to share the show with friends. That helps us grow. The more listeners we have, the more rad guests that we can attract to be on this show, like Dr. Chad Nelson, surfboard shapers, photographers. So keep doing your job, and then we will keep doing our job by producing the content. So thanks for that. You can follow us on social media and just share it from there. That's the easiest way to do it. And so you can find us on social media at Surf Splendor, of course sure you've heard me say that three or four times in this show already but you know what i think repetition is key in this game hopefully you guys are getting as much swell as we're getting here in southern california we complained for about a month and now we have more than we know what to do with. so we are grateful for that hopefully you are getting some wherever you are at and uh hope you enjoyed this episode i'll be back next week with an all-new episode but until then this is david scales for surf splendor Reminding you, regardless of whether it's flat, giant, whatever, get back into the ocean, get a couple waves, and shred on.